Sean Marash time on CBS Sports Radio. Let's go, North America. Happy Sunday morning as we're coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studios. Millions of Americans finance the home of their dreams with their help. They can help you too. Rocket Mortgage, push button, get mortgage. It is the Sean Morass Show. You could call me Mraz, call me Sean, call me whatever the heck you want. You can follow me on Twitter at MrazCBS, M-R-A-Z-C-B-S, Ben Horowitz, Luke Diamond. How about that? Brian McKeon, all on the other side of the class. Justin Shackles now taking over your updates as we've turned the page from Saturday night to Sunday morning and uh, an odd Saturday with not really any college football than Army and Navy to get into. But it was now or will be a big football Sunday. And uh, for those of you keeping tabs over the last couple of weeks, I am still on baby watch here. Shocked. I thought for sure at some point tonight I might be getting a phone call. It seems like basically there's a foot hanging out of my wife at this point. This baby could be coming at any second. But looks like we've almost made it through the whole show, knock on wood. So I'm sure the baby will kick off right around 1 p.m. Eastern as I go to sit in with a bag of chips and watch football. But we'll see what happens. So baby watch continues around the Morash house. But... That is not part of the phone scroller today as we catch you up with what you might miss. You know, you're going to wake up this morning. The alarm's going to go off. You're going to check your phone and go, oh, what's everybody talking about? Well, we have you covered right here. It's your phone scroller. It's your phone scroller. It is your phone scroller. It's your phone scroller. It's time for the phone scroller. The biggest stories you'll be reading waking up this morning. Only on the Sean Morass Show. All right, let's start it off. Heisman Trophy given out last night in New York City. Joe Burrow, of course Joe Burrow won. The real story here is, number one, Joe Burrow's speech. Awesome. Joe Burrow basically showing the model of always fighting through rejection. That's who Joe Burrow is, and his story is not over yet, as LSU still has a playoff and maybe a national championship or hopefully a national championship for their sake to get through. What's fascinating, though, and not a lot of stuff usually is around the Heisman, because especially this year when people thought Joe Burrow was going to win, but there's two things. Number one, 4.2% of the ballots that were cast for the Heisman vote did not have Joe Burrow on it. And this is the same thing we see yearly in any sport when it comes to MVP votes, in baseball, when it comes to Cy Young votes, when it comes to, I think, baseball Hall of Fame situations. It's why do people have to get cute, whether they're writers or past Heisman Trophy winners? Why do people think they need to split the atom when it comes to this kind of stuff? Look, if you thought Justin Fields or Jalen Hurts or Chase Young deserved the Heisman, I could hear that argument and I understand it. If you think Joe Burrow wasn't worthy enough to be on your ballot... You should have your Heisman vote revoked. We don't know who these people were that didn't have him on their Heisman ballots. And look, like we've said, if you've won a Heisman, you get a vote. Is Johnny Manziel keeping tabs on college football this year? Lamar Jackson, Jameis Winston, they locked in every Saturday? I don't know. And maybe it was. Who knows who it is? But it's ridiculous. On the other side of the Joe Burrow situation, it's just another example of when you think you know and you can predict sports, you just don't. Joe Burrow opened the season at 65 to 1 odds in most places in Vegas to win the Heisman Trophy. 65 to 1. If you remember, before the year, it was all about will Tua win? Will Trevor Lawrence win? Will a Travis ATN win? Will a Jake Fromm win? Jalen Hurts was even on there. And it ends up being Joe Burrow at 65 to 1. Remember, Lamar Jackson opened at 100 to 1 to win the Heisman the year he did. So this is nothing new. 
long shots happen all the time and take that into account when you're looking ahead to next year's Heisman Trophy and you assume maybe it's a Trevor Lawrence. Maybe it's a Justin Fields. Not so fast because Joe Burrow once again defied the odds as he's done his whole career. Congrats to him. Awesome night winning the Heisman Trophy for Mr. LSU and what he's become. And Cincinnati Bengal fans, I'd start getting a little excited. You might get your tush kicked by the Patriots in a couple hours, but you're another game closer to getting the Ohio-born Joe Burrow in your building to be your quarterback. Story number two, we look ahead to an NFL Sunday, and one of the more interesting games, a game most of the country will get in the late window on Fox, will be between the Rams and the Cowboys. The Ram- the Cowboys have had 10 days to sit and marinate after losing to the Bears, and yet still sit there looking to win out and get in that NFC East race, uh, get that NFC East title. So the division is still there for the taking this week. What did Jason Garrett do to inspire his team? He showed them highlight tapes of when they were playing well to say, look, guys, look, this is what you can do. You can be these people that we've seen before on highlight tapes. The problem now is nobody will bet the Cowboys this week because you have the Rams here coming into Dallas red hot. Winners of three of their last four. Todd Gurley now has taken off. Sean McVay calling himself an idiot for not using Gurley like this earlier. But there's a little point of contention within the Rams and their locker room. See, Jared Goff was asked about the Todd Gurley touchdown run earlier in the week. Goff called it, quote, vintage Todd. Todd Gurley, rather than shaking that off as just a meaningless comment, said he didn't like the comment because it meant he sucks now and he just finally had one good play. He said this, Todd Gurley. And is there a sign that maybe some of these Rams leaders aren't really fond of Goff and the way he's answering questions and especially the way Goff's played this year? Is there actually a chance that if the Rams don't make the playoffs, that some of that locker room might turn a bit on Goff and where McVay falls? Is there a chance the Rams might have missed their window? Look, the Rams could win out, maybe still not get in because the Vikings control their own destiny. But for all the talk about how it's a week-to-week NFL league and momentum can change on any turn, nobody has any confidence in the Dallas Cowboys, and I understand why entering Sunday. But there is a rift starting to form within the Rams, even as they play well. And the Cowboys, off 10 days off, still knowing they control everything in their power to make the playoffs. Can they get right and shock the world and beat the Cowboys on Sunday afternoon, knowing maybe there's a little distrust going on with that Rams team? I do want your calls on that at 855-212-4227. The number again is 855-212-4CBS. And Luke, if we could lower the music here, my third phone scroller I actually want to do without the music here. And it's a story, for once we get a really good feel-good story. Look, if you're just waking up and joining the show, there was a good chunk of the show where we argued and we debated what happened uh, outside the Army-Navy game on college game day where somebody flashed what many now know as a white power symbol and many college students and, and young people in America play the circle game. And it seems to be, you can interpret it a lot of different ways. And was this student, this cadet, doing, uh, you know, the circle game, or was he really showing a white power? Anyway, there was a lot of points of fighting there and and contention and arguments, and it really stinks that you could, you know, get into that kind of stuff and people end up throwing, you know, hatred words out and you don't understand this and you don't understand that. However, we have a feel-good story that you could wake up to here. Seven years ago on Saturday, Newtown, Connecticut, suffered an enormous tragedy with the shooting at the Sandy Hook School. A lot of kids passed away. Families' lives will never be the same, changed forever. Seven years ago. Amazing that that much time has passed. And uh, the hearts in Newtown, Connecticut, still stay broken as they should be forever. It was an unspeakable 
Tragedy. Seven years later, in Connecticut, the Class LL State Championship of football was played. Two schools playing, Darien, Connecticut, a town. The other, the other town, Newtown, Connecticut, who had not made the championship in Connecticut, the state championship, the Class LL, since 1992. So now, if you would like to start doing the math there, that's right. 17 and 18-year-old kids playing high school football for Newtown, Connecticut, who were 10 and 11 years old, when their friends and their classmates were disgustingly gunned down and had lives taken from them at the elementary school of Sandy Hook. Seven years later, those children who were becoming young adults, some young men, 17, 18, took the field in a state championship in football. And what happened on the anniversary of this school shooting? Newtown High School quarterback Jack Street threw a 36-yard touchdown pass to wide receiver Riley Ward on the final play of the Connecticut Class L Championship to win in a walk-off touchdown. I'm getting goosebumps telling this story right now. Seven years to the day that kids like Jack Street or Riley Ward's lives were changed forever. Classmates. Friends, kids who may have ended up on this football team were killed. Families' lives altered. Seven years later, this town has its high school team with those kids now of age to be playing high school football, make it state championship. And they win the game. And they win the game on the final play of the game on a day and an anniversary of December the 14th that will always be horrible to residents and kids growing up in Newtown, Connecticut. They got a chance to smile and hug each other and cry tears of happiness because they won a state championship in Connecticut. I'm getting choked up thinking about it. Congrats, Newtown, Connecticut. State champions, and for once, a happy moment on December the 14th. It's the Sean Moraes Show. More when we come back. You're listening to Sean Moraes on CBS Sports Radio. CBS Sports Radio's toll-free line is 855-212-4227. It's brought to you by Geico. Great news. There's a quick way you can save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com. And in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. As I mentioned, you could tweet in at Mraz, CBS, M-R-A-Z-C-B-S. Dane tweets it incredible. Hashtag Sandy Hook RIP with a football emoji. Uh, yeah, sorry for that. I, I rarely get choked up on the air, but that, that story of them winning the state title in Connecticut seven years to the day uh, where a lot of those kids in the team were, were in the hallways and in the classrooms ducking on their desk was just... Uh, Incredible. Caesar tweets in at Mraz, CBS, M-R-A-Z, CBS. Beautiful story. Can't make it up. Got goosebumps just listening. Thanks for sharing. You won't find a more heartwarming story, and that really is what sports is is all about. It's about bringing people together right? and just the thinking about where where we are uh, 
as a country, frankly, and, and how divisive and on Twitter everybody wants to jump down each other's throats and and fight about this, that, and the other thing. And then just you get reminded we're all human beings and, and just if you can't come together and enjoy a heartwarming story like what happened in Newtown, Connecticut on Saturday, I I don't know what what will ever, you know, bring you to true, you know, happiness and, and warmth because that was unbelievable. P Squared tweets in at Morass CBS. If Todd Gurley wants to take a compliment from Jared Goff that a stiff arm by Todd G is an awesome playing vintage TG. It sounds like Jared said I suck. Well, this is a ridiculous story, and Todd Gurley needs to grow up. You want look, you could certainly have that take that Todd Gurley maybe is being a little sensitive there. Because I do believe when Jared Goff calls him vintage Todd, that I don't think in Jared Goff's mind he's thinking he's calling Todd Gurley old. I think he's just like, that's what we love from Todd Gurley. That's that's the best of Todd Gurley when we see him like that, and we hadn't seen it all year. Now, may, whether that's McVay's fault, maybe it's some of Goff's fault with plays calling, I don't know. But it did, did seem like a kind of innocent comment. But that being said, Jared Goff has struggled a lot of this year. Todd Gurley, you see now, once they have started to use him right, the Rams have gotten going, and it might be too little too late. Even if they went out, they're not guaranteed a playoff spot if the Vikings went out. Might be too little too late. So, if that's a team, and and that's another leader in Todd Gurley, and he feels that way about Jared Goff, maybe there's a deeper issue as to why he's taking that comment and not letting it roll off his back. And maybe that's how some of the Rams feel about Jared Goff. That maybe he's saying the wrong things and not performing like a franchise quarterback who's getting paid to do so is. So, it's just, it's interesting. Because if the Rams in this story with Todd Gurley and Jared Goff, if they were the Dallas Cowboys, if they were the Cleveland Browns right now, boy, everybody would be talking about it. And it wasn't until I was really reading up and preparing for the show Saturday night that I saw this. So how is this not a bigger deal Had it, while the Rams are hot? It just shows you that the Rams, they play that big market in Los Angeles, and it's like nobody cares. Nobody cares. There was something I wanted to bring up from Thursday night football if you watch, the Ravens and the Lamar Jackson show just continued. And Lamar Jackson has become such a joy to watch play football. And look, me personally and everybody who's listening to the show knows my story. I'm a New York Giants fan and my team stinks right now. But watching Lamar Jackson play football, you realize football can still be fun. When your team is awful and play awful football for a while, it really starts to ruin your uh, love for the game. And I think that's probably the case in any sport when you watch. When your team starts to struggle and looks horrific. And it, and you watch because you're a diehard fan, especially football, because even as bad as your team gets, you know the 16 games, you're going to watch them all, and you're going to analyze, you're going to have hope. And boy, I've watched some bad football with the Giants. When you watch the Ravens like you do Thursday night, without any rooting interest, Lamar Jackson reminds you that football is still fun as heck if your pers- on a personal level your team stinks. That being said, I could be a fanboy. Ben Horowitz could be a fanboy. Luke Diamond could be a fanboy. Brian McKean could be a fanboy. Justin Shackle could be a fanboy. We see Lamar Jackson. We're walking down the street. and we go, Wow, that's Lamar Jackson. We might ask for a selfie. We might ask for an autograph. We're football fans. And I think to an extent, NFL players can be football fans too, but there has to be some pride on the line. And I believe the New York Jets on Thursday night showed the exact opposite of whatever full of pride is. And for those of you who didn't see this, the NFL themselves tweeted out the video because they thought it was a cool moment without thinking of how stupid it made the Jets look. So, look, this is not sports in the 70s where we really want that hatred between teams and players. It's rare you get that now. It's more the fan bases hate each other. 
but following the game in which Lamar Jackson embarrassed every member of that New York Jets team, Jet players lined up to want to do a jersey swap with Lamar Jackson. One problem, obviously Lamar Jackson's only wearing one jersey, and we see these jersey swaps all the time in sports, and uh, you know, I work with Bart Scott. Bart Scott has a bunch of different players' jerseys up on the wall, and it looks cool, and I get why players want to do it. The problem is the Jets took it too far. You need to have one player on your team say, hey, I'm swapping with Lamar Jackson. You guys decide, figure it out. I don't care if you do rock, paper, scissors. The Ravens support staff brought extra Lamar Jackson jerseys, whether they were from the locker room or whether they were from the team shop at the stadium, and had them ready, and Jet players lined up like they were at the characters' breakfast at Disney World, looking to get Goofy's autograph in that little handbook, one by one, to get Lamar Jackson to sign a jersey and hand it to them, and they handed Lamar Jackson his jersey. Think about how embarrassing that is. This guy, as fun a player as he is, and I understand that the players themselves don't want to be fans of the game, just took you behind the woodshed and embarrassed you. Embarrassed you. And instead of just having the one player go up to Lamar very discreetly, hey, Lamar, here's my jersey, I'll take yours. Hey, great game, good game, all right, yeah, good luck in the playoffs. And walk it off and in like that. The player, multiple Jets players, because they couldn't decide on one player, lined up taking their jerseys off, and there's a guy from the training staff of the Ravens, Henny Lamar Jackson, different and different colors too, not just the color they wore. There's a black jersey, there's a white jersey, a purple jersey. Lamar signing away, signing away. It was as if the Jet players had gone to Richmond, Virginia to a baseball trade card show and we waited online for two hours to get Manny Pacquiao's autograph. I mean, have some pride. Have some self-respect. You're a professional football team. That just got your ass kicked by Lamar Jackson. And you guys can't decide on one guy to swap jerseys with Lamar that you need to line up like it's the lineup Space Mountain? Like you're showing up and Disney's telling you if you don't have a fast pass, it's going to be three hours until you get to the front of the line. I mean, one by one, the Jets lined up. One by one. Lamar, please, can I have your autograph, please? Robbie Anderson's rubbing his head. Robbie Anderson's giving Lamar Jackson a massage in his head trying to joke around with him. I get it. It's not like it used to be. It's not like we're getting total brawls on the field. and they. It's not like Jet, Jet fans went to bed ticked off, I'm sure, on Thursday night. There was another embarrassing effort from their, their team. You get the vibe when the players line up to get the autographs of Lamar Jackson. The Jet players are putting their head on the pillow just fine. And that probably disgusts you as a sports fan because it happens with all of our teams. And I get it. It's not the 70s. It's not the 80s. You're not getting Pete Rose and Ray Fossey anymore. All right? We're not getting violent. Bro- Occasionally, you still get a decent baseball one. But in the end, all these guys are fine and fun. All these players love each other. They all share agents. They all go to the same parties in the offseason. It's a big love fest. And that's, look, if that's the way the game's gone, that's fine. But there has to be a line of pride in some way, shape, or form. The jersey swaps, if the players want to do that, that's fine. If it's going to be, hey, there's only one guy we want the jersey from, you got to straighten that out before the game. Hey, rock, paper, scissors for who gets to exchange with Lamar. You don't get to line up 12 of you deep. Again, like you're at the Disney characters breakfast waiting to meet Mickey Mouse for the first time. That's what the Jet players came across as. Fools. Absolute fools. Have some pride. Ben, you seem like you want to chime in here. 
No, you mentioned the Disney character breakfast. Again, keep in mind, these aren't fans. It's not you, me. Right. Justin Shackle yeah, lining up like I see. We got to play well. Simple as that. I mean, yeah, according to the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> like I see <laughs> Lamar Jackson. The building's falling apart here. It but is. I see Lamar Jackson. I want his autograph. Imagine you show up at Disney and right. Pluto and Donald Duck and Minnie Mouse are lining up at the Disney meet and greet to get Mickey's autograph. You're right. You're right. Be better than that. Yeah, it's a, you know what, Ben? You're right. I'm using the wrong reference with the Disney characters breakfast. This wouldn't be me or you at the Disney characters breakfast. It would be Pluto and Goofy lining up for Mickey's right. autograph. And by the way, a lot of those Jet players look goofy, but I'm sh- <laughs> They absolutely did. Absolutely did. Thanks for, the, thanks for the courtesy laugh. There you go. I thought it was absolutely embarrassing by the Jets on Thursday night. And look, Lamar Jackson's the greatest show the NFL has to offer right now, just like last year Patrick Mahomes was. So I get it. I get the infatuation with one of the jersey swap with him, but how do you how do you do that? How do you have some self respect? Just embarrassing, top to bottom, totally embarrassing. All right, when we come back, your NFL picks. Plus, we get you set up for what should be a fun NFL. Only three more of these guys. Three more NFL Sundays ahead. We'll get you set up with your NFL Sunday with your NFL picks. On CBS Sports Radio. It is the Sean Morass Show, bringing you home here on CBS Sports Radio. A big Sunday on CBS Sports Radio. John Kincaid's already checked in. He's coming up next, followed by a little DA Sunday morning football. Before a little eye on football, we have you covered here all day long on this football Sunday on CBS Sports Radio. Okay, a little rough week for me a week ago. Little rough week, just to recap. Packers lane 13 didn't exactly pan out. Another tight win for Green Bay. Colts, I get a little bit of a push last week, plus three. They blew that game versus Tampa. Jaguars, what was I thinking? Chargers go out to Jacksonville and crush them. I was wrong there. I did hit on the Chiefs on the road at Foxborough. I am now 18-17-1 inside the pork store on the Sean Morash Show picking games. Now here's my Connect Four. Four picks for this NFL Sunday right now. Ah, the chills when you hear music like this, right? The absolute chills. We'll start it off. And by the way, a lot of bad games on Sunday. Just unappealing matchups, I think, is a theme of Sunday. I mean, when you have Duck Hodges getting flexed into Sunday night football, you know there's unappealing matches, matchups all over the place. But we make do anyway. We love the league. Patriots at Cincinnati is where I start. It's amazing how many of these Bengal games I end up picking. They always seem to come across. The Bengals are getting nine and a half to Pats Lane. An offense that has absolutely struggled for New England. Coming off a week in which Patriots, uh, oh, integrity called into question once again. Were they spying on the Bengals last week? You hardly need to start. uh, Spy on the Bengals. Anyway, this is a juicy game for New England. How will they look? People feel they will win the game, and why shouldn't you? But how will they look in doing so? Is this a game in which the offense gets right, where Tom Brady's arm looks more al dente than wet noodle? Is that possible for the Pats? I think so. Defensively, I think they will maul the Bengals. Maybe it's ugly for the first half as the weather will turn and be very cold in Cincinnati. But ultimately, 9.5, I will lay it and think that the story on Monday for the Patriots will be, is New England back? Are they ready to surge into the playoffs? The offense looked good again. Patriots will win this game by 10 or more. I will take New England minus 9.5. And uh, everybody overreact to beating the Bengals 
on Monday morning. Game number two, I'm going to go to MetLife Stadium for what could be Eli Manning's final home game. Ugh, we're still doing this with Eli. Look, I love Eli, and I believe Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer. I believe Eli Manning has absolutely fallen off a cliff the last couple of years. I've said goodbye. I'm good on the goodbyes. Whatever Giant fans show up on Sunday that want to wave goodbye, so be it. They have lost nine straight games. Nine straight. Their coach is on life support. General manager on life support. They don't even have Daniel Jones starting because he's still hurt. You have to go back to Eli Manning checking down all over the place. I know the Dolphins stink. Look, it's a bad sign for the Maras and the Tishes when Spiro Dinas and Adam Archuleta show up to your stadium to call the game. Boy, have the mighty have fallen. That used to be Buck and Aikman in December for the Giants. Now it's Spiro and Archuleta as this game's on CBS later. And we love Spiro and Archuleta. They do a great job. But you know what I mean. You know what kind of games they're getting. Dolphins getting three. When you lose nine straight games, you should never be favored over anybody. Ever, ever, ever. Ever. I will take the points just out of the sheer nonsense that the Giants would be favored on anybody. Give me Miami plus three. Ryan Fitzpatrick makes the Giants secondary look like a disaster. More unhappiness, more booze rain down at MetLife Stadium. Miami plus three at the New York Giants who are looking to lose 10 straight games. Game number three, I'm going to go to Sunday night. I like the Bills here as a better team outright than the Steelers. I absolutely do. They're getting one and a half, which is essentially a pick em. Steelers have played with a lot of fight. I mentioned earlier in the show, Mike Tomlin, I think, should be coach of the year. The job he's done, incredible. I Part of this is my heart. I don't want to see a Duck Hodges Steeler team playing wastefully on a wild card weekend just to get booted. I think there are much decent options, which I'll break down one of those games in a little bit. Texans-Titans will be a big one. That's not going to be my picks. I'm going to take the Bills plus one and a half, but I think they're going to win a game outright on Sunday Night Football, watching the Bills on Sunday. McKeon is shaking his head. He usually disagrees with picks. He is pumped up. He is shaking his head in approval. He loves himself. Some Buffalo Bills plus the one and a half on Sunday night. All right, pick number four. A storyline not being discussed enough this week. Raiders. Minus six and a half at home. Why is that significant? Why Sean Morash? Why Moraz are you picking the Raiders and Jaguars? Today is the final game in Oakland for the historic Oakland Raiders before they move to Las Vegas. This is it. How lackluster. How little excitement we have around the final game in Oakland nationally. This is criminal at the Raider fans, the black hole. How many games in a black hole have we seen? And we've seen some bad football in the black hole, but the spikes, the shoulder pads, it's all been there for us. And it all comes to an end. No more baseball field on a football field. It's over today with the Jacksonville Jaguars and Minshew Mania that's gone kaput going out to Oakland. The Raiders are laying six and a half. The Raiders have been atrocious for three weeks. They had a real shot at the playoffs, and now it's basically all but evaporated. Yes, they win. They're still technically alive. The Raiders, I think, understand and know this moment. This game is everything to those fans in Oakland. Everything in the Bay Area. And I think the Raiders deliver in a big way versus a bad Jaguar team. By the way, the Jaguars have been cooked for a couple weeks. They're going to get on a plane, go out to Oakland, and that black hole where that stadium is going to be electric. You want to talk about goosebumps. That's how they're going to feel in Oakland. While the rest of America is watching the Cowboys and Rams, that city of Oakland and those fans are going to be rocking watching the bad Jaguars lose to the Raiders. I'm laying six and a half. It's only a touchdown with an extra point you got to cover. This game is the Super Bowl for the Raiders. 
Give me the Raiders minus six and a half. Pick number four. Your picks again. Pats minus nine and a half. Dolphins plus three. Bills plus a point and a half. And the Raiders and what should be the Oakland fans Super Bowl minus six and a half. Your connect four. Four picks. Again, I'm 18, 17, and one. Boy, you would have thought the Rangers just scored a game-winning Stanley Cup goal the way Brian McKeon is reacting in the control room to my Raider pick. I almost fell off my chair. I'm trying to get my post-show stuff done so I can get out of here on time. But and all of a sudden, to the pork store? we got the podcast right, to the good, pork good. store. Yeah, he's screaming back there. I can see him through the glass. The Jumping Raiders. up and down. McKeon all fired up the music and the Raiders? Because or? I thought you were going to miss that one. I, I think it's the obvious pick of today. Honestly, I think so too. It's it's only a touchdown. The last game in the black hole before they leave the this the state. Right. I mean, this is an obvious. And the Jaguars have been dead for a month. This is an obvious easy pick, and I'm, I'm proud of you because you screwed up a lot of picks over the last couple <laughs> weeks. And I'm proud. You finally got one, Sean. You got one. Now I think your Giants Dolphins pick is atrocious, but besides that, you 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 got one. You figured it out. You grabbed it. It was hanging there. It was low low oh, hanging we fruit. We got it. And you low hanging pork. We got it. And you got it. We got the Raider pick minus six and a half. It. We realized. I'm I'm fired up. You know what? Hey, look, I got Sunday ticket. I'm not going to miss a second of Raiders Jaguars. I'm in. By the way, real crime here. We could lower the music and fade out on the Raiders and Jaguars for just a moment. You know. A lot gets made of the NFL schedules, and I kind of get really into NFL schedule making. I love when the schedule comes out and you look at it. But how quickly we forget, because of the London game and because of the bye and because of the road games, the Raiders went, I believe it was six straight weeks without playing in Oakland. So they played the first two games at home, and it proceeded for six straight weeks to play on the road. Now, granted, one of them was technically a home game when they played the Bears, but it was in London. So they only had seven games in Oakland this year. But the idea... That the Raiders and the NFL schedule makers could have that team in their final year Oakland play or have six straight weeks with a bye, with a trip to London, where they did not play a game in Oakland, and then somehow finish up the home schedule in Oakland and still have two more games to play after this. Something's out of whack. The NFL has totally screwed up the final year in Oakland. Completely disrespected that fan base. Completely screwed them. It's bad enough they're losing the Raiders to Vegas. And I know it's not that far. And I know the Raiders are a national brand. And there will be plenty of Vegas Raider fans if they weren't already. You know, I don't think that the I don't think this is gonna be the Chargers moving to Los Angeles. I expect Raider fans to be all in in Vegas from the jump. And actually, I don't suspect that this is like the Chargers leaving San Diego or the Rams leaving St. Louis, in that I feel pretty confident the Raiders are so loyal as a fan base in Oakland, and they've seen the team move to LA and move back to Oakland that I don't think there's anybody showing up to the game today, and that's the last time they're going to root for the Raiders. I think they will root for that team in Las Vegas. I think those Raider fans will stay Raider fans. That being said, they were still disrespected with their team getting pushed and pulled out of Oakland. The idea that that fan base had six nice weather weeks where their team was not home because of the NFL schedule makers, and somehow we just crammed all these home games in in a hurry, and they're going to finish playing two games on the road when maybe you could have played Week 17 in Oakland and had that nice farewell the last week of the season... Week 15 being in Oakland, that kind of makes it feel like un or anticlimactic a little bit. But that's the way the NFL schedule makers have made it, and it, it should be an emotional day in Oakland. Again, most of America will have that. If you don't have NFL Sunday ticket, or maybe you just watch Red Zone, you won't get that Raider game and Jaguar game unless you're basically in the Bay Area or Jacksonville because it's you know a bunch, bunch of 4 o'clock games there, and they got to make sure America gets the Cowboys. But if you have Sunday ticket, uh, tune in for a little bit. 
and, and listen to the crowd and listen to real fans because they're going to be into it. And that, that stadium is going to be electric for two, for one mediocre team in the Raiders or a little less than mediocre, one really bad team in the Jaguars. That's going to be a lot of fun in Oakland and and something really to, to dig into late. I, I, for one, I'm going to be interested in it. They will absolutely get one of my screens and, and hopefully, you know, if the Rams do what they should do and go up, you know, three touchdowns in the first half of the Cowboys, I might be able to switch Raiders to my main screen late. But I'll be into it. Raiders-Jaguars, last game in Oakland. I think that'll be fun. And again, you're only laying six and a half. If you're looking for a bet, even you see McKeon loves it. Uh, maybe that's one you want to jump into. The other game I just wanted to talk about real quickly and close the show with. It's time. I, I wanted to have this opinion earlier. It's time to stop treating Ryan Tannehill like a good story slash joke. And start treating Ryan Tannehill like he's a legitimate NFL quarterback again. Because the 4-1 and one stretch over the last five games and the Titans, who, let's face it, under Marcus Mariota and Mike Vrabel, who has made some asinine coaching decisions. I, uh, I'm i not going to lie, I've bet a few, little bit on the Titans well, quite a, quite a bit this year. I always find myself involved in Titan games. And Mike Vrabel is atrocious as head coach. But Mike Vrabel, since going to Ryan Tannehill, has looked more competent. And the Titans have been incredibly more competent. And here they are at 8-5 and five now taking on the, the Houston Texans. And you want to talk about bad scheduling. Two division teams wait until week 15 to see each other for the first time. They're going to play two times in the next three weeks. And this is really going to determine who wins the AFC South. Mind you, should the Titans win this game and get a, get a real hold on the AFC South? And they win the division and they end up as the four seed in the AFC? You know what we're setting up for in the 100-year anniversary of the NFL? Bills at Titans, wild card weekend, 20 years to the weekend since the Music City Miracle. That's on tap if the Titans win this division. But I think we've kind of poked fun and laughed at the idea that Ryan Tannehill's playing well with the Titans. You know, it's kind of like a novelty. It's it's like having peppermint bark during Christmas time, right? It's kind of seasonal. You just, okay, it's out there. Oh, that's cute. I guess I'll try a little of that. Or chicken cutlets on Thanksgiving. Right, right, like sus. Like sus. Right, and now with this... It's kind of like, oh, Ryan Tannehill's still playing good. That's cute. That's fun. Oh, good for the Titans. And I think we're not understanding that there might really be something here with Ryan Tannehill. And should the Titans come out of Sunday beating the Houston Texans and having now really full-blown control of this division, and Ryan Tannehill continues to look the way he's looked, it's time to start considering, wow, the Titans really need to sign Ryan Tannehill to an extension? And... Something went wrong in Miami with Tannehill, whether it was with Joe Feldman or Adam Gase, who looks like a doofus himself, that Ryan Tannehill might actually be worthy of the first-round pick he had, and he didn't have the right system in place, right coach in place, or maybe he just took some maturity from his standpoint that maybe now he's establishing. And for two completely different reasons, one is on the field with Ryan Tannehill, one was off the field with the following guy I'm going to mention— Ryan Tannehill's resurgence in a very small sample size in Tennessee reminds me a lot of Kerry Collins' resurgence with the New York Giants, where Kerry Collins was a pick that played well in Carolina, ran into some alcoholism, some demons. Remember, they went to the Saints. It was that he got released from jail, smoking a cigar. He ended up latching up with the New York Giants, signed a backup Kent Graham. He ends up coming up the quarterback. Eventually, Kerry Collins led the Giants to a Super Bowl appearance. They lost to the Ravens. Kerry Collins was that good and had that second, if you will, saving of his career. And we don't see that a lot in the NFL. And again, Ryan Tannehill's problems were more on the field. Then he was banged up and he was injured. So I'm not trying to compare the same problems that he had with Kerry Collins, but more or less, Ryan Tannehill on the Titans and the way he is playing, 
is not a joke. And it reminds me a lot of when Kerry Collins came to the Giants and he kind of made that organization special. And now Kerry Collins, you look at the Giants record books, one of the best Giant quarterbacks of all time. Now, the Titans don't have that long history. They do have Steve McNair. And I know this is still very short, and I know maybe I'm jumping the gun quite a bit here, but Ryan Tannehill with the Titans looks legitimate. This looks the part. And this was an under-the-radar signing, but the Titans might have something here, and I think they really need to seriously consider investing after this year long-term in Ryan Tannehill as their quarterback. I think he is proving to be more than just a backup now, and good for him. Now, again, that could all go up and smoke these next couple weeks, if the Houston Texans absolutely steamroll them two of the next three weeks and they win the division and the Steelers make the playoffs and the Titans fall short and the Titans don't even make the playoffs, then maybe all's forgotten and all it was was five hot weeks from Ryan Tannehill. But watching as much of the Titans as I am, this looks more like a legitimate, hey, the Titans have something here with a franchise quarterback than it does. This is just a guy playing hot at the right time in his career at the right point in his year. And Titans-Texans is really the game of the early window on Sunday. And watch Ryan Tannehill play quarterback because right now, I hate to say it, other than Lamar Jackson, he's playing quarterback about as good as anybody else in the league right now at the position over the last couple weeks. And that's where we'll wrap up. Great job, obviously, Luke Diamond. Great job, Brian McKeon. Great job, Ben Horowitz. Kevin Dexter, Justin Shackle on the updates, Sam Monson. All good today. The Sean Morris Show can be podcasted, found radio.com, iTunes. John Kincaid comes your way next to get the table set for your Sunday NFL action on CBS Sports Radio. Take care, everyone.